moment we can lose it all And at the drop of a hat God might turn his back and move on A lot of us feel like we blew it Thinking that we're just too far gone come to our time of communion where we uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in the world today and how it applies to uh, 
the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross all those years ago. I've been reading in Matthew uh, and finding things and little tidbits in the Bible that can point us to uh, how did Jesus react in times of solitude uh, and how can we kind of attribute the ways that he did it in his life to the way that we can uh, incorporate the daily teachings and the life of Jesus into our own lives during this time of COVID-19. So when Jesus uh, wanted to really be alone with God, a few times in the Bible, he goes off and uh, sought seclusion in order to form a deeper relationship with his father. And uh, I think that that's good for us to do as well. Uh, and what better time than now when we're kind of in this forced seclusion? Uh, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think a lot of us... Uh, can use can relate to this passage as we want to use this time to do productive things. We want to use it to develop a closer relationship with our families and with Jesus. Uh, but sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. Sometimes when we are, even if we spend all day and we get so much done, we can really feel like we didn't do anything at all that day. But as long as we are spending time with the Word and spending time with God, we are doing something. Using that time in, in, in the morning, evening, afternoon, whenever you can to spend some time in the Holy Word and just spend some time with our Heavenly Father, uh, that is progress we can make for ourselves. Uh, as you sit at home, uh, just like I am doing here in my home, uh, if you have some kind of food, eat, eating lunch, uh, grabbing a snack, whatever, got your drink with you, uh, I got some chips here, um, feel free to participate in a uh, and communion with us as we uh, as we go into our new week and we keep our eyes focused on Jesus and and uh, keep our mind in his word and try to relate um, use this seclusion time to grow your relationship with God a lot of us have been begging for time recently to grow closer to God and now we have it let's pray dear God I pray that this week uh, you are able to, in the seclusion and in the, uh, in the private lives of everybody that attends this church, everybody in the world, um, attending church or not, I pray that uh, you are able to touch their lives and help them uh, kind of bring, bring our gaze back toward you and that you are able to uh, kind of show us the way and show us how to, some of us are dealing with a lot of anxiety during this time, not sure how to handle the situation that we're in. Uh, way more time with people in, in close, close proximity can sometimes be detrimental, but we know that as long as we keep you in the center of all of that, in the center of our marriage, the center of our relationships, the center of our friendships near and far, um, that those relationships will be uh, built stronger because you are part of the foundation. Um, please just be with, be with the, these people that are watching and uh, help us to keep our eyes focused on you this week. In your name we pray. Amen.
Maintain these regrets when I think about 
It's come to the point in our service where we take a moment out to give back to God some of what he's given to us to support the mission and ministry of real life. And we take an offering here for two reasons. One, because it funds mission and ministry that helps every person possible find real life in Jesus. But secondly, it grows us as followers of Jesus. See, God knows there's a direct connection between what we hoard and our hearts, our, our treasure <laughs> and our hearts. And that's why Jesus spoke about stewardship more than any other subject in his three and a half year ministry. And so we want you to know that when you give, God is honored in your life and his work is carried out in our lives, not just in the church, but in the community as well. And really because of coronavirus in the world, as we and many, many other churches have gone online and the word of God is getting spread uh, online over the whole world. So I wanna thank you for giving and I wanna thank you for growing because both of those things happen at the same time when you give. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you give to us. And God, in this moment, we take a few minutes to give back to you some of what you've given to us. We do that to honor you and also to grow us, that our faith and our trust might be in you and not in the things that we have. And then also, God, that your kingdom would continue to grow, that the mission and the ministry of your church would continue even in times of difficulty. Thank you for getting your word out around the world, even when we're locked in. We love you, God. We thank you for all you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you want to give this morning to Real Life, you can do that uh, right now from your mobile device or your computer. You can uh, go to reallifecc.us, click on the orange icon down in the right-hand corner of the screen. That'll open up a giving flow and just work through that. If you're not signed in or you haven't signed in before, there's an opportunity to do that when you get to the end. If you have done it before, make sure that you click the icon up in the top right-hand corner, sign in, and then all your information will be saved. We appreciate you giving. We appreciate that you've continued to give so that the mission and ministry of real life can continue even during coronavirus. The one thing I've done in my life with any real consistency and success is fail. And, and I'm not kidding about that. I have failed more dramatically and more frequently in my life than I have done anything else. I failed as a pastor. I failed as a father. I failed as a husband. Oh man, have I failed as a husband. I've even failed as a follower of Jesus. And I've failed in other things too. I failed as a mechanic and a car trader. In 2010, that was probably the peak of my failure in those two areas. One of our cars had quit working and we needed to replace it. I was driving back and forth to Wichita, taking Trent to school twice a day uh, to take him and to pick him up. We had multiple children in school in another town uh, and Andrea was driving in different places. We had to have multiple vehicles. And so I went on the hunt. 
The first vehicle I found uh, was for us as a family. I found an old Mazda MX-3. I thought this will be great. It'll get decent gas mileage. It's kind of a sporty car. It'll be awesome. I drove it for four days before I totally blew the head gasket and nobody ever drove that car, at least in our family, again. Trevor was a senior, my oldest son, and so I wanted to make sure that he had a vehicle. And so I went out and find a, found a fairly cheap Honda Prelude. I thought this is going to be a great car. The guy who sold it to me said it had a broken uh, timing chain. That turned out to be not the case. The timing chain has just slipped, bending all of the valve stems, and uh, no Landreth ever drove that vehicle as well. I failed so miserably in the car mechanic and purchasing area that year that I told Andrea, I will never do this again. Any vehicle we buy next, you're going to be the one that has to sign off on it. Failure is difficult. It's difficult in our lives for several different reasons, but we talk a lot about learning from our failure being able to learn from our failures. The, the problem with that is that it, before you can learn from your failure, you can be nearly crushed by your failure. Failure affects how you feel about yourself in the present, and it affects what you're willing to risk in the future. The disciple Peter is a pretty good example of failure. In Luke chapter 5, we read about Peter's very first calling. Jesus found him and called him. He was a fisherman. His name was Simon at the time. Jesus, shortly after that, changed his name to Peter. And Peter, along with his brother Andrew and his friends and work companions James and John, were called by Jesus to follow him. Now, these four friends had been fishing all night long, and they had caught nothing. The next morning, Jesus shows up on the shore. He's preaching to the people. He gets in Peter's boat. He tells Peter to put out into the water, which Peter does. They throw the nets over the side of the boat uh, at Jesus' request, even though Peter had fished all night and failed. And guess what? They catch a huge amount of fish. In fact, both of the boats out in the water nearly sank because of the weight of the fish. When they pulled the nets in, they had this huge haul. And Peter realizes in that moment that, that Jesus not only like knew where the fish were, he orchestrated the whole event. Like he was in charge. Peter, the, you know, the gears are turning. Peter's like, this guy Jesus is in control of the fish. And when he realizes that, Peter gets down on his hands and knees there in the boat with Jesus. And he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. But Jesus responded very simply, follow me. Follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. In the stories of Jesus calling the disciples, only Peter responds to Jesus in this way. I, I go away from me, I'm a sinful man. But there are many other of the disciples who should have and could have responded this way to Jesus. Maybe Matthew, the traitor to his people by being a tax collector for the Romans. Maybe Judas, the thief. Uh, or also um, Simon, who's the zealot, which means that he's a Jewish freedom fighter and had probably killed a lot of Romans. But this tells us something very important about Jesus. It tells us that Jesus chooses people based on their potential, not their performance. 
Over the next three and a half years, while Peter follows Jesus during Jesus' ministry, he fails a lot. Let me give you a few examples. Peter consistently put his foot in his mouth. Like he wants to be first. He wants to be accepted by all the important people. He wants to be the guy for Jesus, like number two in the group of disciples. Peter tries to correct Jesus about Jesus' coming crucifixion. And he says, he says, no, this shall never happen to you. As though Peter has some ability to stop the plans of God. And that was a huge failure because in that moment, Jesus actually calls Peter Satan. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. Man, Peter blew it. That was a huge failure. Peter then another time is disgusted that all the other disciples are allowing Jesus, their leader and teacher, to wash their feet. And so when Jesus comes to Peter and he's about to wash his, pe uh, wash his feet, Peter says, says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Of course, Jesus replies to him and says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And so Peter, once again, you know, without thinking, jumps in and says, well, then give me a bath, Jesus, like wash my whole body. The biggest of Peter, Peter's failures, though, actually comes at what seems to be the height of Jesus' need, his torture and betrayal just hours before his death. The night before, Jesus had, had told Peter, hey, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And of course, Peter denies that he's going to deny Jesus. In fact, he says, no, even if all of these others fall away, even if I have to die for you, Jesus, I'll not deny you. I'll not leave you. And yet the very next morning, as Peter denies Jesus for the third time, the text tells us that Jesus turns and looks directly at Peter. Imagine how Peter must have felt in that moment. And then because of these previous failures, and then the big one the night before, G uh, Peter thinks that he is finished as a follower of, of Jesus. And so instead of staying with the other disciples, Peter goes back to fishing for fish. And that's where Jesus finds Peter after the resurrection. And it's actually a beautiful story. You know, when you want to do something nice for somebody, um, maybe your spouse, you've bought them a nice present or something, you really want to set the scene for that moment to get the details just right. Think about it like, like framing a photography shot. You, you want the subject to be right in the middle. You want a perfect shot of, of the focal point of your image. But you've also got to make sure that all of the background stuff is right too. You've got to make sure the lighting is right. The things that are behind the subject are maybe fuzzed out a little bit. And so there's a lot that goes into framing the scene. And Jesus does this perfectly. See, Peter is feeling terrible. And even though he's seen Jesus alive after uh, his death and resurrection two other times, Peter really seems to have hung out in the shadows. Like there really isn't any indication that Peter and Jesus had conversations back and forth or they talked. Even though Peter fancied himself as, as Jesus' number two guy, Jesus was closer to John. And so uh, this is a really odd time for Peter because he was always kind of right there with Jesus. Uh, and now Jesus has come back to life and, and, and Peter's kind of in the shadows. Now that Jesus has died, Peter has failed the ultimate test by denying him those three times. 
Peter feels completely worthless. And he really doesn't know what to do. And, and seeing Jesus alive again, though I'm sure he was excited about that, doesn't make the situation any easier. In fact, I think for Peter, it makes it worse. See, what Peter understands now because of the resurrection is that Jesus really is the Son of God. That he really is the, the Messiah, the, the Savior of the world, and that everything he said was true about him. And the realization sinks in that Peter just denied the Son of God. So Peter goes back to what he knows, the fishing. And he takes six others with him. And this is where Jesus begins to set the scene for the second greatest comeback in history. So early in the morning, after Peter and his friends had been out fishing all night long, Jesus comes and stands on the shore and, and once again calls out to them, hey, have you caught anything? Of course, the guys feeling like failures as professional fishermen, once again, having not caught anything, holler back, no. And so Jesus says, throw your nets over the right side of the boat. And once again, Peter is caught in this moment. Peter, the professional, is being told what to do by somebody he doesn't know, a poser from the shore. And once again, for whatever reason, Peter does it. He throws the nets over the right side of the boat and they pull in a huge haul of fish. And it's at this moment that, that John, Jesus' closest friend, recognizes that it's Jesus on the shore. And he tells Peter, it's the Lord. And here we go. Once again, Peter leaps before looking. Peter jumps out of the boat, leaving the other six to bring this massive haul of fish into the shore, and he swims to Jesus first. And once there, Jesus and the seven eat together, and then they take a walk. Here's what it says in John chapter 21. We're going to read this. Uh, it'll be here on the screen, but you can also follow along on the notes uh, panel above the chat if you're on live.reallifecc.us. Or if you're watching on your TV or your computer, you can grab your mobile device. You can go to reallifecc.us and scroll down to my message notes. Click that and you can follow along there as well. But here's what it says in John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. That's John. We talked about him already. And when Peter saw him, he asked the Lord, what about him? So I want you to catch the subtleties that are happening in this scene that Jesus has reset on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Not long after Jesus first called Peter to follow him, Jesus changes his name. Now, you can see in the text that his name was Simon, but Jesus changes his name to Peter. These are the, the same guys, by the way. Peter, or Petros in the Greek, means rock or stone. And when 
Jesus shows up to talk to Peter. Remember, this is probably the first time that Peter and Jesus have actually had a conversation after the resurrection. And Jesus doesn't use his name Peter or Rock. He uses his, his given name, Simon. This hurts Peter's feelings. See, Peter loved being the rock. He loved being the one that everybody else could rely on. But Jesus is letting him know, Peter, you haven't been very rock-like lately. Jesus also asked the same question three times. Do you love me? This was not because Jesus couldn't hear him or there was some other issue, but because Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so three times Jesus asked, do you love me? Once for every time Peter had denied him. Now, now that must have, have not been lost on Peter. He must have understood that. Just like the first call of Peter to follow was on the shore in the morning with Peter's friends and family, this second call is very much the same. But it's also different. See, Jesus reinstates Peter, not only as a disciple, but as a leader. And, and here's how we, we know that. He says, do you love me? And if you do, feed my lambs. And then he says, take care of my sheep. And then later he says, feed my sheep. And what's happening in this moment is, as Jesus and Peter are walking with the other disciples following them, is Jesus saying, look, Peter, I'm putting you in charge. You're the one who's going to feed the new Christians, who's going to shepherd the rest of the, the sheep, those behind us and then others who come. You're the one who's going to feed my sheep. And what we find is, is that exact thing happens. In fact, Peter is the first one to preach a gospel message about faith in Jesus in Acts chapter 2 after the resurrection and Jesus has gone back up to the Father in heaven. Peter becomes that rock that Jesus intended him to be, but it took some time. Here's what we know about, about this interaction between Jesus and Peter. If Jesus was going to choose people for his kingdom based on their performance, it's pretty obvious that Peter would have been left out. Jesus would have never given him a second thought. But Peter's failures prove something really important. Your past mistakes don't define you, and your future missteps won't disqualify you. I'm going to say that again because you need to, to get this. Maybe today you, you know that you've failed, you've fallen away. Maybe you're watching this and, and, and it's been a long time since you've been in church. And you were just home this morning and you saw this and decided to click over. Your past mistakes don't define you. And your future missteps won't disqualify you. There is nothing that you have done in your life and nothing that you will do in your life that God will look at you and go, yeah, not that one. Not him, not her. There is nothing you can do that can keep you from the love of Jesus. See, Peter's mistakes didn't just happen before Jesus puts him in charge. Later, Paul tells us in Galatians 2 that Peter fails again when he pulls back from the Gentile believers in order to buddy up to the Jewish believers, to appease them in some way. Peter's pattern of failure didn't go away after Jesus called him. And neither will yours or mine. So how can Jesus continue to use Peter who had failed so many times? Well, that's really what you and I need to know, right? After I've failed, after I've fallen, 
How can God still love me? How can God still use me? Maybe you've asked yourself that question before. See, Jesus doesn't choose us based on our performance, but our potential. And Jesus understood that Peter still had potential. See, Peter had received forgiveness, but he hadn't yet started to walk in freedom. He hadn't yet started to walk in that forgiveness. He was still hanging on to his past failures. Those times that he denied Jesus, I'm sure, played over and over again in his mind. And Satan was, was right there going, yeah, how can you even presume to be a, a disciple, let alone a leader of the disciples, having done what you've done? But every one of Peter's past, present, and future sins had already been forgiven. They'd already been nailed to the cross. Jesus had already died for those things. And not just for Peter, the same goes for you and for me. And so what Peter needed to understand was that forgiveness leads to freedom. When we're forgiven and we really own that and we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross in forgiving our sins, past, present, and future, that frees us up to follow him. Jesus calls Peter to follow him in Luke 5 initially, knowing that Peter was going to fail him. Like when Jesus called Peter on the shore that morning, he knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. He knew that Peter was going to be a hothead. He knew that he was going to have to say, get behind me, Satan. He knew that Peter was going to do the wrong things and say the wrong things, be in the wrong place. And yet he chose Peter anyway. And so Jesus reissues Peter's call in John 21, knowing that Peter still won't be perfect because of Peter's failures. Peter now has a clearer picture of Jesus' love for him specifically and not just the forgiveness of his sins. So if our sins have already been forgiven, why don't we experience freedom? How come we don't walk in that like we're supposed to? Well, what Peter and, and you and I need to know is this, that, that we have freedom from our failures. We can have freedom from our failures. Peter's sins and our sins have been forgiven, but Peter hadn't forgiven himself. And so he asked these questions roll around in his, in his mind. How can Jesus love me after what I've done? It's an old trick of the devil, and he uses it to great effect. It's called guilt or shame. And when we've sinned, when we've done things wrong, when we've failed God in some way, Satan loves to come in and say, how could God ever love a person like you? How could God ever love somebody who's done the kind of things you've done? How could God ever care about you? And he does that very well. It's a trick that works so well because really we don't have a picture of who God is. Many of us, act like, Who's got, like, I understand there's a God. Maybe today, like, you don't go to church or whatever. You don't follow along, but, but you have this recognition that there's a God. You just maybe don't walk in it. And, and, and maybe because you, you haven't experienced freedom from your failures yet. And part of that is because you don't know who God is. And so um, I, I think there are three uh, maybe gods that we, that we think uh, come in and we think God is like this. Many people think that God is, is angry. 
And so we ask this, is, is God, is God an, an angry God? Is, is God just waiting for me to mess up so that he can pounce on me and he can, he can bring punishment? We might also think that, that God is ambivalent to our, our problems, waiting to see what we do before he decides what to do. And so we're always wondering, what's God going to do? Like if I do the right thing, will God bless me? If I do the wrong thing, will God curse me? We, we just don't really understand. We don't know. There's no consistency where God is concerned. We also might think that, that God is just absent in, in our lives. And, and so, so we think God, like it just isn't there. Um, maybe he set the world in motion, but then he's left us to kind of do our own thing and go our own way. In all of these, in all of these, we miss God. But, but one of these maybe has filtered into your view of, of who God is. And, and so what happens is if you have one of these three views of God, you have to constantly work to arrive at some place or point in the future where God is pleased with you. And, and so we, we get this idea that, that we've got to perform the right way. We've got to do the right things in order to make God happy. If we do the right things, God won't be angry with us. If we pray enough or if we read our Bible enough, we'll, we'll get God to pay attention to us. If we, if we serve enough or we give enough, maybe God will, will come and he'll, he'll bless us. But, but otherwise, he's just like he's off doing his own thing. And so in all of these scenarios, we constantly are asking ourselves, how am I doing? How am I doing as a follower of Jesus? How am I doing with my Bible reading or my, my prayer time? How am I doing with, with serving or, or with giving? And we constantly feel like we've got to do more to earn God's favor so that God won't be angry with us, so that he'll pay attention to us, so that he'll come and be present in our lives. I think this is what Peter was always asking in the, during the ministry of Jesus. He was always asking, how am I doing, Jesus? That's why we find Peter like always talking, always trying to earn Jesus' favor, always jumping before, before looking. Peter is constantly trying to do all of these things in order to get God to appreciate him, in order to, to hear Jesus say, hey, you're doing the right things, you're doing the good things. So Peter says, call me out of the boat, wash my body, I'll die for you. How, how am I doing, Jesus? Am I doing the right things? Have I arrived yet? Am, am I there? Have I impressed you yet? Have I done enough for you yet? But Jesus' call to Peter disproves all of these ideas about who God is. But Peter had failed, and yet God wasn't angry with him. Peter, Peter had, had done things that he shouldn't. He, he denied God, and yet, and yet God wasn't ambivalent. God wasn't absent in his life. God was still working in his life. And so what we find in the life of Peter and the disciples and even our own lives is that God isn't a God of anger, ambivalence, or absence. He's really the God of our adoption. He's a God of our adoption. And so our question for a God who adopts us with all of our scars and all of our failures, when we don't look like him at all, like we don't look like we belong in his family, our question is not, how am I doing? Our question is, how can you be so good? God, how can you love me so much that even though I've failed, you've still called me to be a part of your family? 
God, how can you love me so much that now that I'm a part of your family, I've failed again and you still love me. You still welcome me. You still call me back home. See, the God of our adoption has already accepted us into his family despite our failures. And so our response is, we need to learn to be free from those failures. Peter and, and you and I also need to understand how to find freedom for our future. How could Peter go from the biggest failure in the group to the leader of the group? He had to be freed to step into his future. Now, Jesus did this pretty simply. Jesus called him into this future pretty simply. Jesus just said to him, follow me. Now, this took pressure off of Peter, and it takes the pressure off of us as well, because we don't have to ask any longer, how am I doing? Because we just need to be doing what Jesus is doing. And so our question can be, not how am I doing to gain your favor, to gain your love, to gain your acceptance, but we can say to God, how am I doing loving others? How am I doing following Jesus? That's what Jesus did. And if we follow him, we won't have to wonder if we're getting it right. We just go, I'm just following Jesus. I'm just going in the way that Jesus goes. See, Jesus frees us from our failures and for our future through his forgiveness and his invitation to follow. We, we find forgiveness, and then he just says, follow me. He doesn't say, here, A, B, C, D, all of these things. He just says, follow me. There's no condemnation because Jesus died for your sins, all of them. And you have already been deemed worthy because Jesus died for you. And so God has adopted you as his own daughter, his own son. You are loved not for who you are, but for what has been done for you. You're loved because Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. You are of worth, not because of your performance. You've already been forgiven. And now God just simply says, follow. And so here's what it all comes down to um, today. I want you to make sure you walk away with this. Failure isn't fatal. In our life as, as followers, um, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus today. You need to understand this. Failure isn't fatal. One of, the day, one of these days, the doors of church buildings all across the country and around the world are going to be open. And there are going to be people who are afraid to go in because of the things that they've done, because of their failures. They're going to say, well, if I go into the church, you know, the walls are going to fall in or the place is going to burn down. Like God could never accept me. But your failure isn't fatal. The things that you've done in your life, God's already paid for those through his son, Jesus. Everything you've ever done, God already knew you were going to do it. And even though he knew it, he sent his son to take your place in order to adopt you as his own child. It's not forgiveness that keeps us from God. You're already forgiven. What keeps us from God is our inability to forgive ourselves and experience the forgiveness that God has already given through his son Jesus. Look, you can't step into your potential though until you step out of your past. 
That's the hard part for a lot of people, stepping out of their past. And here's where your part in the story makes a much bigger difference. Look, if you're not already a follower of Jesus today, your sin has still been paid for on the cross. Maybe you just haven't received that freedom yet. Well, I think here's what Peter would say to you, if that's you today. If you're not a follower of Jesus and, 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 and you haven't experienced that freedom because of your failures. Here's what Peter would say. And I know that he would say this because this is what he said to a group of people who had killed Jesus not that long ago. And Jesus is, uh, Peter is preaching this message uh, from his own failure. Here's what Peter says to those who were there that day and to you and I. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise of Holy Spirit is, is for you and is for your children and is for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. All who are far off. That's you and that's me. We're the ones that Peter had in mind when he preached that very first gospel message about faith in Jesus. We're far off, and, and maybe today you're the one that the Lord is calling. He's probably not shouting it to you through your TV. There's probably a small voice in your mind going, hey, it's time. I'm here. I love you. I've forgiven you. Your failures don't matter. They're not fatal. You can step in to real life. Today, we want you to respond to that call, and we want to help you when you do. And so if you're watching at live.reallifecc.us, in the chat window, there is a, an icon, a button there that says, raise your hand. And if you're ready to receive Jesus, if you're ready to step into the freedom that is offered you because of the forgiveness of your sin, all you got to do is click that little button. And we'll be in contact with you, get some information to help you take your next steps with Jesus. If you're on Facebook this morning, it's a little different for you, but there will be a link in the comments on this live video uh, and in the header up at the top of this video that'll send you to reallifecc.us forward slash I'm ready. Here it is on the screen. And you can click on that and you can let us know about your decision so that we can help you take your next steps with Jesus as well. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus like Peter was, consider this. Peter, during the ministry of Jesus, had a lot to declare. He declared himself to be the most important, the most uh, spiritual, he declared himself to be the most daring. But when the rubber met the road, Peter was constantly under-delivering. Peter had a lot to declare spiritually in his life, but he under-delivered over and over. And sometimes we as followers can do that as well. We can do a lot of talking about our faith without, without actually doing anything with our faith. And so I want you, during this coronavirus time that we're quarantined and locked in our homes to take some time to make sure that you're not declaring a lot of things about your faith without delivering on them. 
And, and if you do find yourself in that place where you've talked a lot about your faith, but you haven't lived any of it out or, or maybe not very much, here's what you can do. Exactly what I think Peter did. Repent. Repent. If you're in that spot, simply repent like Peter and then walk in the freedom that Jesus has already called you to. Again, you can go to reallifecc.us. I'm ready. And there's several options there for you to accept Jesus for the first time, to rededicate your life, or, or maybe to get on a list to be baptized when we can be together again. But I want to leave you with this thought. Peter's call from Jesus is the same call that's on your life, and it's the same call that's on my life. Follow me. But you can't step into your potential until you step out of your past. Until you correct your wrong ideas about who God is. Until you forgive yourself. But when you understand the incredible love that God has for you and that failure isn't fatal, you can follow him in freedom. You can experience the real life that he wants you to have through his son Jesus. And we want to help you in that. Click on the link and choose Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your son Jesus who came to this earth, who died for our sin on the, on the cross and who three days later was raised again to life. And we thank you, God, that, that our failure isn't fatal that you paid for our sin, that you've forgiven us already. And then, and because of that, we can walk in, in freedom. We can have freedom from the failures of our past. And we can walk in freedom into a future that you've already forgiven also. God, help us to experience that real life that comes from a relationship with your son where we're not tied to our failures. We're not tied to our past. We're not tied to the things that, that Satan uses to hold us down and hold us back. But like Peter, we can rise up out of our failures and we can walk in freedom into a future that only you can give us when we follow you. That incredible things can be accomplished in and through our lives when we walk in that freedom that you give us. And so God, today, would you help us simply to follow you and to walk in that freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.
are still